1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 405th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Charles Coleman and Bill Mann. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm
3: Matt Unlow. Today, we've got Jordan Brady on the show to talk about the end of 2023. If you're listening to this, the day it came out, it's already over. Yeah, we're really sorry to tell you, but 2023 is done. We're done. Goodbye. Great news. I think people were pretty sick of it. Here's to 2024, baby. But we talked to Jordan about all sorts of stuff. We dig in. Jordan is a prolific director. We talk about he has a great feature background.
2: Which I had no idea about.
3: We knew about some of them, but there's like a handful of like very big movies that came to light. Late in the conversation, we've known Jordan for years at this point. You know, we dig in on the things that affected our career in 2023. We're using that personal lens to talk about some kind of larger, bigger questions and the industry at large. Like I said, Jordan is mostly a commercial director at this point. And so that's more of what we're focused on. But I think we touch
2: on everything about starting your own production company, about reps, about full-time jobs versus freelance work and about kind of trends we've seen and pitching it's a fun conversation
3: well without further delay you should all go to patreoncom pod to throw us a buck or two to keep this show going we appreciate everyone who's throwing in a little bit of money we have a surprising number of expenses The year is over. It's time to start fresh. So, uh, you know, a buck or two, you're not even going to notice it, but we will. It will make a big difference for us. And you'll feel that rush of energy when we say your name at the top of the show. It's really fun. Everybody who's done it knows.
2: With inflation, you won't even notice $4 a month. It's like nothing.
3: Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's like, what can
2: you buy today for $4 a month? $4? Yeah. I mean, not a month, for $4. You cannot buy a coffee. I can tell you that much yeah
3: patreon.com slash just shoot a pod is the place where you can support us
2: and without any further ado here's the rest of the show
1: and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: Okay, we are here with Jordan Brady, very successful director, made a lot of things, including a lot of comedy commercials, thousands of SAG productions, a few funny documentaries, and he happens to host
3: a little podcast called Respect the Process. But you probably already know that because we probably set it up in the intro, everyone. But just in case, Respect the Process.
4: I've been trying to get my wife to do a podcast called Perfect Couple Podcast."
3: <laughs> Which She's would She's like uh don't you
2: that's my next husband.
4: Right. That's her future husband. <laughs> but I just think it would be fun to have a parenting like there are plenty of parenting uh podcasts out there but for filmmaker like filmmaker parents that's got to be a niche isn't that mm. what podcasting is all about? Sure. Yeah. It's about parenthood, it's about raising children, setting mm-hmm. boundaries mm-hmm. and uh nepotism. <laughs> <for> first- <laughs>
2: That, I mean, if you know about one thing. Oh, I know about that. <laughs> How many Oscars good. did your dad win?
4: My dad was not in the business. One thing I'll never say as a guest on someone's podcast, especially a uh, coveted podcast spot. Noah, get ready to beep this. Mm-hmm. Is, is when I love it when the guest says, Okay. And we can get into that later. I'm sure we'll get into that later. Like the guest (laughs) is trying to drive the the conversation with something that comes out of left field. You're listening in the car or on, you know, me on the bike or something. I'm like, I don't think they're going to go into that later.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, who's really actually, who's great (laughs) at that is Pete Holmes, like makes notes and we'll circle back later. And so those episodes are so long. You remind me of how funny it is when you have a fellow podcaster on the show and now it is a totally different experience because, you know, part of what we've learned over the years is how to coax information out of people who speak visually, you know, like, you know, just getting to the root of like, why should someone watch your movie and why are you An interesting filmmaker to talk to is uh you know the thing that we've been working on for eight years and with a podcaster you can just you sit back you just let them go do you know what i mean yeah like I i feel like i said 10 questions to felicia day and we could have talked for six hours it was great
2: oh she was so good i don't know if you heard the felicia day episode you two are
4: such a great balance you, you know, my and Jeanette Godoy, my wife, filmmaker, Jeanette Godoy, who has mm-hmm. been on previous the previous guest. Yeah. We'll listen in the car and we'll just start cracking up because you balance <laughs> each other. And Oren, you'll go off on some, you know,
3: worry wart tangent. Sure. Oren's like, I have six jobs booked and I, boy, I'm so stressed and upset about it.
4: But it's so raw and it's so, it's, it's real. <laughs> and I think we all empathize and relate to that. And then Matt, you swoop in with a calming, let's double click on that.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt will be like, "But Oren, what month is it? It's June. Nobody works in June." Yeah, sure, sure. I'm like, hey, you say this about every single month, Matt. No, I say it about January and July. What
3: I <laughs> July is horrible. December. I'm sure we'll talk about July later. Yeah, yeah. no, December is great. Unfortunately.
2: Well, speaking um, of months, we brought you on Jordan to kind of recap. Uh, 2023, it's literally December 29th today when we're recording. Mm -hmm. This episode will unfortunately come out in 2024, which is all the way next year, Mm -hmm. but but it is going to be about what we learned in 2023. Matt had a great prompt. We're each going to talk about a couple things that we feel like have changed our careers. Jordan, what was the most important thing that happened in 2023?
3: The singular moment that changed your 2023.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually,
4: I actually have that like it was it, it wasn't it wasn't hard there were a lot of wonderful things that happened there were a lot of scary times there were a lot of like okay how am i going to bridge the gap when i didn't get the job that i was had a slam mm-hmm. dunk call on a second mm-hmm. call you know mm-hmm. for whatever reasons but i launched my own production company true gentleman industries aka true gent but starting my own production company was a really wonderful thing to do, and I had I've had companies before, mm-hmm. and I had a production company with partners and a decent roster at times. At other times, it was like a revolving door of directors, <laughs> um, and it it didn't really take off the way I wanted it. But now, operating lean, nimble, um, family operated, you know, my wife Jenica Doy, who I mentioned, is on the roster. Ben Brady is on the roster. And I want to foster new talent. And if either one of you have a job you want to run through, True Gent, uh, give me a call.
2: You know, I've actually referred you to a couple of people.
4: Thank you. Doing that was was wonderful. And I, I look, I'm older than the two of you, not combined, but individually. Uh, I lean into the fact I'm a grandfather now, which a lot of people said, don't Jordan, mm-hmm. you know, ageism. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And it's just time, like I... I'm pretty set in my ways the the way I like to run a commercial set. And Truegent doesn't. We don't produce documentaries. We don't do mm. pitch Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know, you throw the biggest
2: party at Con?
4: We throw a huge. We get a yacht <laughs> and uh, one of those uh, speedboats that pulls the parachute.
3: To your point of like, oh, we don't do this. We don't do that. You know, you're kind of alluding to. I think there are a lot of other companies out there that do do those things right and we all kind of know that there's one part of their business that really keeps the lights on and maybe the the documentary or the passion projects are like you know subsidized by that right like when times are slow they get to go shoot a documentary and as soon as a commercial comes up they all have to go back to the the thing that actually makes them profitable but it sort of does imply that they don't want to only be doing the thing that they're getting paid to do, right? Like that they're maybe partially not not entirely passionate about commercials, well, for instance, right?
4: Well there the ex, there are exceptions. Like there's some very successful. I think a, a lot of the larger commercial I'm talking specifically commercial companies. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you are. Like sure. if you look at Pretty Bird, sure. They sure, had sure, sure. wonderful award winning documentaries. And I know uh Ms. Emhoff is passionate about that side of her business and the directors are top of the rock doing apple spots and nike and Mm -hmm. you know paul hunter was a founder and so i think that's the exception where they love doing everything and they've grown over 25 years to be able to do that Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm really trying to separate true gent from the pack that is uh you know we're a collection of artists and artisans and storytellers finding the humanity and we'll do concept and post and storyboarding and, uh, strategy. We do everything. Mm -hmm. I Experiential. Yeah. I will recommend someone to do that stuff. And, uh, I'm just focused on this. And I also think it's a smarter way to launch a company.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've been talking about with different, uh, directors, I always say, put yourself in a box. And we talked about that the first time I was on, when you're going to the marketplace be a comedy director, mm-hmm. don't be a jack of all or Jill of all trades be, do I'm an effects driven I'm a comedy dialogue I'm a niche within a niche mm-hmm. but then, as a filmmaker, you want to have variety, so expand, do other stuff, but until you've established and are making a living at the one thing you do really well, I think it's hard so I look at uh, launching a company the same way. We're just going to do commercials from agencies. If a client direct job came along, I would do it in a heartbeat. And maybe I've done four or five that I don't promote a lot mm-hmm. because that's not the, that's, that's not, not the, the marketing business. of the, of the business. Yeah. So that was the, that was the biggest thing that I did was, and I just, I hope this is interesting to the listeners, but I actually started the company in 2018 and I had house accounts. Like agencies and the same client that I worked with over and over again since one of them, uh, the Toyota that I do every year since 2005. And so that was at a shop called Uber Content that became Sanctuary, basically. And then I had it at Super Lounge, which I I had a couple of partners in. And then I took it away from my own company. I told my partners, hey, they want to work with me and we want to streamline it. But I didn't go public. I was in the closet with true gentlemen. And then this at the, like this time last year, around I guess it was November, I said in January 2023, I'm gonna do some press, I'm gonna get reps, I'm gonna do, you know, I'm do a a web page.
2: Is that what they're called? Do people still look at those? Did you, you should check out that HTML. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, whew, hypertext something.
3: Get ready to talk about some cascading <laughs> sh- style sheets over here, Oren. Um,
2: I, I am curious though, because like, I guess the way I think of a production company, especially one that does commercial jobs, like, you know, many of our listeners work with, whether it's a local, you know, store you're making a commercial for or a big, you know, a regional Toyota campaign or a big, uh, you know, Oso hot sauce campaign, um, international campaign the I, the idea when you have a roster of let's say 10 directors right is let's say you have a budget let's say it's five hundred thousand dollars and the production company typically will take some percentage of that budget as a production fee right so 10 20 let's say they're making fifty thousand dollars on it um just to make the math easy right now, if you have ten directors and they each have a job, a five hundred thousand dollars job, and you're taking ten percent of each one, you're now made five hundred thousand dollars of profit, right? Of, of production company fees, obviously, assuming you didn't go over budget and you didn't have to lose some of that. Now, let's say you have five partners, you each, you know, you split that, you each get hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, so, to me, the like the motivation behind having your own company um, and a few, like a small roster versus a big company with a big roster is kind of about the money at at some point right like if like a super lounge that has 10 directors is probably making a lot more margin than a true gentleman right that has like 3 directors on the roster is that is that part of the math at all or am i totally off on that
4: um i'll give you some specifics you're you're actually off the mark but super lounge being uh you know it lasted 10 years and at our at our peak, we had f- f- six, seven directors. There might have been more on the roster, but not everyone was working all at once. Mm-hmm. So your scenario works with RSA, which or caviar has, you know, 40 directors in the US, mm-hmm. and let's say 10 of them or 20 of them are working. I don't know. Then that that scalability, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it pays off for the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Right. With with regards to Super Lounge, I had two partners, so we split the profits three ways. We marked up the job. We came in under budget, so yes, it was a good model and a good. It did work, but at a certain point, as a as a director, I could have made around the same money being on someone else's roster, which I did for a couple years. Um, just getting a percentage of my own jobs. The problem with with Super Lounge was uh, I was the director working the most. Mm-hmm. One year we had Greg Pop, who's now at I think Seed or uh, Backyard. He was at Backyard. It doesn't matter, but a great great guy, and uh, he worked a lot. And his the profits that I made as a partner, as a producer partner of a company were great. It was like I could sit back. Sure, if you like had the, ten
3: more of him, you'd I be like, yeah, right. again, yeah. But in also
2: fact, because you're a director partner, you can actually go direct your jobs while the other partners maybe are putting out fires or mm-hmm. yeah. dealing with That was the goal. The goal thing. was, and they're great guys. I still uh,
4: keep in touch with my old partners and, but it didn't happen at scale. It was more like, hey, if I don't take this job, we're, we're going to have trouble this month.
3: Mm hmm. Right. right. That was sometimes. Mm-hmm. So so what I like about True which is Gent, say, you're saying, just to clarify, basically, Jordan, if you don't work, the company is going to lose money. Right.
4: Yeah, It was like that uh, a handful of months. And then there were months where Richie Keene, a big TV director, joined and was with us for like a year or so. And he did three or four jobs and we made bank and he made bank for whatever reason. People go elsewhere. They get a taste of this and
2: so you're saying Richie Keene made bank this year that he did three or four big jobs with Super Lounge. Yeah. Is it because yeah. his director fee, his day rate is really high? Or is it because he's sharing in the profits as well, uh, like a profit participation thing? Both. So does and, Evan- and his rate wasn't even that high
4: then. This is going back, I'm sure, maybe uh, it's 10 years ago. Okay. Right. I think in that particular case, if you know who he is, he did that uh, yeah, Char- yeah, Charlie exactly. Day. He ended up going on to do It's Always Sunny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that became his his thing. And and I think we didn't exploit that well enough. Mm-hmm. I think we failed him. He went on to do Sunny. We should have been able to
2: cherry
3: pick jobs. Right. No, yeah, we but, got
2: the director of Always Sunny. Yeah. Wanted to
3: do a funny thing? Yeah. That's referenced in these boards, guys. Like, Yeah. We well, here's your guy, yeah, yeah, but the, but having a small boutique shop
4: mm-hmm. shop two p's and an e, the old English way, mm-hmm. because I run so lean and mean, the profit margins are higher mm-hmm. on my own jobs, right?
2: Right. So and even you get if the entire like margin, the production company fee goes to you, to
3: True I,
4: I have. Uh, people i share the profits and the spoils with
3: but yes mm-hmm. a- and the, when you say you're running it so lean and mean you mean like <clears throat> overhead support staff all of that stuff yeah, basically exactly yeah 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 it's a hundred percent freelance model interesting do you, do you ever miss the
2: support staff like i mean i don't know what it goes on at super lounge but i know at like art class for instance on treatments i'll have you know they'll get an image puller for me or a treatment or a layout person to help me out or they'll give me notes. You know, if I'm on a job and I have a treatment due that same week, they'll kind of they'll almost never turn down a, an opportunity to pitch. And when I say I can't, I'm so uh over my head, they're like, we'll help you. Just write. Let's talk to this. Just write it. We'll get the images. We'll do this. We'll give the notes. And then I end up spending 40 hours on it. Um, but uh, but at least I feel like I'm not alone, which sometimes make pitching can be really lonely, you know. I feel that my support team, I'm holding up a
4: iPhone 15 pro for the listeners. Mm -hmm. My support team is uh, a text away Mm -hmm. and they're not on staff. So maybe I pay a little more of a premium. Mm -hmm. Same with, if I was, I like writing my own treatments. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how people don't write their own treatments. I don't like the layouts, but I will say that Canva, Canva was another big one that almost made my best of list because I switched to my layouts with Canva. Mm -hmm. There's AI image generation built in Mm -hmm. and uh, I just simplified my treatments. I try to never go over 14 pages.
3: Oh, wow. The 14 of it all, though, you basically, the word on the street is that people are annoyed by a 30 page treatment is what you're getting Yes.
4: And they're busy early in the year. The uh, agency producer said, "You know, we're going to pull apart your treatment and just show bullet points to the client." Oh, which I'd never heard before. So, so they go, keep it short and bullet. Just a kick in the gut. Yeah, yeah. And and the agencies now have a their support team is like art class, you know, to the Mm -hmm. nth power. Mm -hmm. Right and I love art class. So Like you guys are on fire, right? You guys are on fire. Um, and the burning, growth burning
2: house is what they call it.
4: <laughs> the growth curve is just uh, been amazing to watch. So when the agency has a department that puts out this deck with these great images. And I remember the first time so the, the bit was, you know, you wouldn't send a lumberjack to cut down a tree a redwood with a turkey knife. And it was the in the board was the electric turkey knife cutting yeah. the thing with the lumberjack. And I just said to the guys on the phone, hey, I'm going to Google and get the same turkey knife and then I'm going to Photoshop. Like you've already done it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you your image back. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, yeah, am yeah. I, Are you hiring a director for her Photoshop skills and Google ability? And I think AI is entering the fold with, well, we can all now conjure up some image. Mm hmm. How important is that? Maybe it'll come back to the filmmaking. Yeah, sure. So that's kind of the 14 page thing is like, if I can't tell the story in 14 pages. uh, Hire someone else. uh, Yeah. And that's (laughs) not a a hard and fast rule. It's just, that's kind of my like, okay, can I get it done?
2: Yeah. I will say, you know, talking about trends of 2023, something I've very much noticed is exactly what you're saying. You know, Tim Nakashi, who was one of our first guests on the podcast, one time told us how he writes treatments for music videos and commercials and he said he'll just go onto youtube he'll watch videos for like eight hours or whatever without thinking about anything and then he'll assume that his brain is full of stuff and then he'll just start writing and then he'll just pull images and just put things and he'd noticed that the longer the treatment is the higher chance he has of getting a job yeah <laughs> and yeah. he told us he did oh, this wow. heineken spot in south korea and he's i remember
3: like, after he showed us the spot and was like it was probably or the, the treatment, it was probably 36 pages. Oh, at it least. Was, yeah, it was, it was so long. It was massive.
2: And I was, and you, you know, Matt, I've been talking about this forever. Like, I'm like, well, more treatments, more higher chances. So my treatments are like between 30 and 40 pages pretty consistently. And I've noticed that people would be like, wow, you are really invested in this. You've thought of every single thing, every single detail. You're so on top of this. You know, we all kind of started doing the animated gifts, and then, in design and Canva and like little animations and little videos and tests. And and the thing that you used to be like, oh, Jordan Brady does these video things where he, he'll he just talk, pitch it to us on video. Or Oren Kaplan does these tests or Matt, you know, does these like cool AI generated images. Everyone is doing all those things. And yeah. now you're just like, like you said, our own people are showing us this stuff all the time. Do we really want to sit through 40 pages? Literally on my last job that I pitched on, the agency producer sent a... I sent them my 36 page treatment or whatever. She sent a message to my EP saying, hey, tell Oren he doesn't have to read every single page just when he presents the treatment back. Like he can kind of fly through it because we only have 30 minutes. Right. Well, Um, that's kind
4: of the 14 page thing.
2: yeah, Yeah. And I was like, and another EP for a different company I did a pitch with this year told me every page of writing should have one sentence that is a pull quote. It's like bold. And if you just read that one sentence mm-hmm. as you went through these 30 pages, you would
3: know, you'd have 95% of what you need. Yeah, the, the not to get too far into the weeds, but the the push and pull I've always had is that I don't believe people really read. But, you know, like people are looking at them on their phones. Like if you have too much like small copy on a, a page, it's just not getting read and mm-hmm. you know, 40 megabyte gifts by the way yeah, Tra- yeah treatment designers stop putting those on <laughs> sure. uh and i'm a stronger writer than i am uh you know a uh, layout graphic designer right Same. and so back in the day when i first started i could i would just i'd write and write and write and it would be great and it would essentially mm-hmm. be something i could riff off of and i felt great about forwarding that along to anyone i knew that they were going to get it through the power of my writing and as things have evolved into the layout and the Photoshop and the AI and the GIFs and stuff, it's been such a bummer. And I pulled back this year as well. And I don't think it. I mean, I didn't book a ton. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story the moral, is twenty-eight I like, pages. I was like, yikes! Well, because because you know, I no matter how good I am at pitching. I know that someone is gonna forward this document along to their boss or the client or something else, and so it has to stand on its own. Or and to your point of like, oh, the pull quote being the thing that actually is the narrative thread, the spine through the entire piece. That's that's perfect advice. Whether it's a pull quote or a headline yeah. or whatever, and I think that I have to become more disciplined in the flavor text being extraneous but still important. Do you know what I mean? That's a weird balance between it being fluff and not worth saying versus knowing not everyone is going to read it basically. Yeah. You know, it's, it might be a good time to mention that I
4: do have a course at commercialdirectingfilmschool.com.
2: Oh no, we'll circle back to that later. How
4: to yeah, Well, I'm sure we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> how to pitch and then how to uh it's a complimentary course to mm-hmm. uh treatments directors treatments unmasked. And anyone on my mailing list, which uh, is a Mailchimp, and my wife goes, "What's that thing you Survey Monkey?" (laughs) How did they not call it Survey Monkey? Uh, I sent out like for Christmas. I sent I think six treatments, uh, including the one that didn't win, and I sent the spots Mm -hmm. with the treatments, and some of them are not that flashy. Did you send the spot of the non-winning one too? I sent a YouTube link. The, for other the Reliant to energy. energy, yeah. Oh, cool. To whoever I forget the gentleman's name. Very talented. Turned out great. Not a and true man. gentleman. Not a true gentleman, but a, I'm sure a nice person and uh, definitely talented filmmaker. I mean, that's the thing. What there was, but you said something like they don't read it or it's on the phone. There was this gig, and I won't say where, but I had a friend bidding. His treatment was really splashy. Mine was pretty good, and uh, they were bidding like five or they were talking to six directors before they narrowed it down and they still mm. got like five treatments and it was a i mean it was kind of a the spot does is not impressive because mm-hmm. <laughs> i've seen it right and that did bug me but when it got to that second call hey take us to the treatment i go did anyone have time to read it and just looked at the zoom and they're like um no i've been really busy mm-hmm. so yeah. like well i could have just What's the point? I could be making it up right now as I read Sure, it. sure. Yeah. The yeah. gifs, however, the the pet peeve is when hey, could you send a PDF too? Because mm-hmm. the PDFs yeah. don't play the gifs unless you gentlemen have a secret. We don't. So I have to find the perfect. I go all Kaplan on it, right? I I find the perfect moment in the GIF to freeze, mm-hmm. and then build that
2: for the PDF. And high three hundred and twenty by two hundred and forty resolution. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> One last tip, and I know we were already way off, way off course as usual, but one thing I've done also the last couple of years is instead of, you know, I used to have sections in my treatment that'd be like casting, wardrobe, tone and performance. I try to put my idea into the section heading. So instead of wardrobe, like I just did this one that takes place in a casino and everyone's going out, you know, and it's like dress to impress, you know, and Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. um, instead of tone and performance, it's like, wow, you'll shit your pants or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Although, like, I kind of try to do my bullet, like, like give you a yeah, feeling yeah. Yeah, that's right. just that's from right. the section title. And, yeah. and sometimes I'll, I'll usually start out with, I'll write intro casting, you know, when I'm just kind of sure. organizing my brain and the sometimes the layout person will just write those. I'm like, no, no, you can't. You can't use, like, my section titles. Those are just, like,
3: placeholders. Jordan, for years, had uh, this brand of hot sauce that the reason I love it, besides it being a good product, was the strike of it all i think was really tricky for me in particular i love commercials and had been making my living doing commercials for a number of years but that was never the main plan right and so i took a job as an ep i'm show running for the you know i we've talked about this before but and yeah. listeners probably know but i'm running like a a podcast A pair of podcasts, basically, like video and audio. But like, I took a job job, and what's complicated about that is that my sanity is there, right? Like, I I, every writer I know is like dog walking and tutoring, like really talented, gifted people. People with resumes I would kill for are you know having a hard time, and I like. This wasn't my first strike. And I f- freaked out a little bit. I've got a baby. I've got a mortgage. Right? Did you take the job pre-strike or w- with strike looming? Strike was looming. Strike was looming. I, I just like I knew blood Did was the in pivot. the water. Yeah. 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 Y- you know, I just was like, OK, this is coming. This is going to change my business in a really significant way. But
2: also, you Matt had a baby and got a new house at the same time and i think
3: all of us before that you know and turned 40 basically all at the same time oh the trifecta of stress there's a year <laughs> that i turned my baby turned 1 the, the same week i turned
2: well the 40. the, a, oh, the yeah. age is stressful but and and i guess it does play into this but before you have a mortgage and a baby who the spending you have to do on your kids. You can't say like, oh, it's not been a great month. So we're not going to get you sure. diapers this month, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Before right. you have that, you can kind of scale. Then, hey, let's chill out. Let's yeah. eat some Chipotle this month. Let's cook more at home. Let's not go on vacations. But once you have those other things, you're you're plugged into the system where the money just flows regardless of how much money you're making or not.
3: Sure. The nut is the nut. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I had been very successful at keeping my nuts small for years as a tactic as a way to have a directing career right and so good years bad years it were really were, to oren's point it was like oh boy maybe we shouldn't go to palm springs uh you know during an off week you know <laughs> was was the decision making factor not like oh am i stressed about the mortgage or not right that's it's, a knowledge nugget right there matt for the young director keep listening. the nut small yeah Keep
4: the nut small because you know yeah. don't do the jordan brady earn it and burn it <laughs>
3: And then, and then go, "Oh, you have to pay tax?". <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, besides being freaked out, just generally speaking, um, I find that when I was freaked out about, when I was stressed about everything, it was really hard to be creative, right? And my priority had been making this feature, writing more being with my kid, like mellowing out and not grinding quite so hard. That all worked out great. You know, I did I didn't lose my house. <laughs> we have diapers. Uh, you know, we're out to cast on the movie. But the flip side is that I had intended to pick up a handful of jobs here or there this year. And that kind of didn't happen. You know, I was up for a handful of things. I was close on a lot. I'm frankly I was surprised a couple times that I didn't get them. Look, we all know that maybe there were s- some directors who were out of work who were competing against us that we that normally we'd be directing television shows or things like that. I was a little more comfortable than I have been and should have been and wasn't hustling as hard as I could have to because you had the gig. Because I had the gig, the movie's got some real progress right now, which is which is it was all the plan. But I think looking at my reel now, I'm ready to spice it up again. Do you know what i mean like i'm ready to be back on set in a real way and like the momentum that i had especially prior to the pandemic has slowed and so i'm looking at 2024 as a as a real situation where i have to galvanize my career again in a way that i hadn't had to in a while you know yeah
2: and it takes it takes work to generate work sure you know? yeah
4: well you have to shoot something new every year I remember going to this thing at the director's guild with no intention of doing episodic television, Mm -hmm. but I thought like, I got to learn about it, you know, and people I'm happy with commercials. And I was in a room with some familiar faces and Paris Barkley was the president then he works all the time in episodic television and produces it as well. And he said, if your Sundance hit from last year, didn't get you another movie this year Mm -hmm. make another movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the shelf life of success has shrunk like it used to be oh you did the super bowl spot with the talking cat Mm -hmm. you know and that was like 2003 or whatever like oh man i remember that one and you could ride that for 10 years Mm -hmm. now it's Oh, the Super Bowl—that was a few months ago. What, <laughs> what have you done? What have you done lately? I exaggerate for comedic effect, but um, yeah, you have to shoot something. Yeah.
2: Or, well, what do you think? Because I, I've shot a good amount of things this year, but I haven't really like blasted them out into the world. There are a couple things that, like, I liked the client cut, and I thought were decent, and I was like, "Hey, yeah, check out this thing I made, and here's some fun details about it." But a lot of my things, I didn't love the agency cut or the client You've got cut. a
3: couple in the chambers, which are
2: yeah, so Yeah. So I have some things maybe I shot in like March or April that I haven't done my director's cut yet. But I'm like, oh, if, if I have a slow moment, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get those. And I kind of, I'm hoping that my work for this year will kind of like, I can start sending it out as, and whenever I have a free moment, you know, and, and I don't have to tell people how long ago I shot it.
4: You it know? doesn't matter. As long as it, it's current and it's new to us. With the Toyota campaign, we do seven, eight, sometimes nine spots every November. Mm -hmm. They get finished in December. They roll out end of January, February for the
2: next eight or nine months. Okay. So you took a a job job.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, and look, there is an end date, you know, like we've got these two seasons and then we're done. So it's not like I'm retired. There's no gold watch in my future. Personally, I'm now just kind of in the spot where it's like, OK, how do I jumpstart things again? Right. And or rather, in what ways do I want to, you know, like uh, now I've got a little bit of perspective. My life has changed. You know, is there a world where I just like show run or be an executive or something like that instead? And like, you know, don't wake up at 4 a.m. ever again, unless it's for a kid. The question of like, oh, do I want to keep doing this Um has popped up a little bit, you know. And I think the answer is yes, for sure, but on what sort of projects and why is a little bit of, of the question mark for me, you know
1: what a good um, what a good
4: problem to have, not even problem. What a sure, challenge. Sure. It's not an existential crisis. It's just reflective and you know, forty. whoo what a biggie. <laughs> sure, you, know, you got some thinking to do, and as long as you're a responsible parent, in my opinion, you can do whatever you want. And you can change your mind and go back to something whenever
2: you sure. want.
3: Yeah, yeah. But our Halloween episode, Jim Cummings, you know, filmmaker, talked about how he didn't make any money directing his movies. And I, and yeah, I mean, his movies were in Sundance.
2: You know, like kind of yeah, he's like a yeah. big, yeah, indie film guru.
3: So, like, if you talk to you know a, a film kid in their mid twenties, odds are good that they will bring Jim up as an as an idol of theirs, as a person that they want to like, they aspire to have his career. And he was like, oh, yeah, I make all my money acting. And I was like, shoot. Yeah. So what do, what do you do in between? Where does that income come from? And, you know, my life has always been I've had relatively diverse uh, income streams for a long time. And then over the years, it just eventually just became directing because or uh, commercial directing because this thing went away or that thing dried up or this uh, executive get fire, gets fired. And before, you know, it, it's just kind of like focused on one thing. And I love commercials, but I don't think I want it to be my you only love thing. You them. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't tickle that itch. Yeah, I, if if I was in-house at like a... And I was before. If I was in-house just directing and like it was a good environment, if I was at some sort of agency or something and, and just kind of uh, every month had a different spot or every other month or something like that, I think I could be happy. But it's, I'd still be... That would just be the day job and I would be making an indie movie every 18 or 24 months. Either way. You know what I mean? So, so I, I guess it's like, well, what if the indie movie isn't going to pay and it's not, of course, I didn't need Jim to tell me that. But like, it was just a nice crystal moment for me of like being on this panel with these filmmakers and being like, oh, that's right. The industry is in trouble right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Rick Rubin book really...
4: Was inspiring, I think, for a lot of creative people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> while he certainly enjoyed financial success, he seems to be ultra sincere when he makes says he that he makes his stuff for himself, sure. and that each project's like a time capsule. I mean, that's how I look at. Uh, you know, I made three
3: documentaries a while tiny dude, pushback. Rick Rubin was making records in the '90s when people were buying CDs. That's where he made the money, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so he can afford to do <laughs> sure, the art piece, yeah, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. If I was making Miramax movies, it would be a different deal. <laughs> right. Well, yeah,
4: yeah listen, uh, we all have the means to go out and make a short or pull a feature together and do it at whatever level we decide is right for the moment. I mean, the, I tell new directors, emerging directors, Wow. If you could get an in-house directing job at an Mm -hmm. agency's Mm in-house production company entity, that would be killer because it'd be like a free gym membership Mm -hmm. where you had to go every day Mm -hmm. and you would get variety in your work. You would find your voice and you'd have a paycheck. And what a great, like, I, I don't even think it's, it's necessarily just for new directors, but that's who it's perfect for. Sure yeah yeah 100%. yeah
2: no full-time directing gig being a staff director anywhere on anything is amazing even if it's industrials with a tiny bit of freedom to have some fun in between some interviews
4: i've talked to uh filmmakers who work at like let's say a chemical you know a spray cleaner mm-hmm. and they're like well but i do the same spot every quarter it's just mm-hmm. a different house and a different car a different bottle but it's the same formula and i'm like Will then save your money and tell the crew on Saturday, you're going to shoot a couple of pages of your screenplay. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. really want to get out, give up the 401k, the dental plan and then compete against uh, Matt
2: and Orin? So obviously I've talked about this on the podcast, but the biggest thing that happened to me this year is I switched production companies, which, you know, for commercial directing is like switching reps, agents, whatever, however, you know, the people as a director, a freelance director, it's you need to know people that are trying to get you jobs. And the most typical traditional way to do it is you are on a roster of a production company and that company gets you opportunities. And my company that I signed with last year, they'd gotten me, we'd, we'd kind of pitched a little bit, kind of flirting, but nothing made, didn't make anything official until we got our first job, which is a commercial for ServPro. After that, I signed with them in May and... From that May, May of 2022 to May of 2023, I only got to write one treatment. <laughs> it was for a, oh, it a fun was 94 spot. pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was actually kind of short. I made it myself. No, I pulled my own images and my own layout. Was the this Rebel Wilson uh, P, uh, well, it's PSA a PSA thing? Great, start. thanks. Um, but that was the only one treatment I made, and I got the job. And even off of that, I wasn't able to get any more opportunities. So in a to be year, clear,
3: though, you were working. Uh, With your own connections and kind of on a freelance base, you were still booking other things, right? It was just that through this rostered relationship, you only booked one job.
2: Yeah. So in 2022, I kind of, I have, I made a list. I was in contention at 23 opportunities for directing gigs. I got nine of them, uh, which resulted in 14 shoot days. After I signed, after I was official on the roster, on the website, did the whole thing, meet the reps, do the thing. Here's a new, the article comes out and all the publications, this new company got, or this company got Oren Kaplan on the roster. After that one treatment, I got <laughs> to write one treatment in an entire year. It turned out well, I got it and turned, you know, it was a fun spot and probably like helped move me, level me up a bit. But, um, but one opportunity in a year from the company you're supposed to be exclusive with it was not enough for me to support my nut, as you guys say. So I switched in May to this new company, Art Class. Since May, I've written 12 treatments. Wow. I got one, two, three, four, five, six jobs from them. Six versus one in less than a year is mm-hmm. pretty significant. Pretty um, awesome, man. Yeah. I also signed with Canadian reps, which um, I did. I got uh, a couple of really good jobs with them. So in 2023, I was in contention. I had opportunities to pitch on 32 jobs and I got 18 of them and I had 24 shoot days. So you could see the difference just Mm -hmm. switching. I had twice as many jobs and I had um, 10 more shoot days. And this is with something that we talked about off mic. Q1 of 2023 of this year, Q1 being January through March, was my worst. Quarter of since I moved to LA, here, mm-hmm. uh, here, I, I yeah, literally made one tenth <laughs> of what I made in Q one of twenty twenty two, my previous year. So even given that Q two is when I signed with this company, to now it's been like my best year, and so it really makes a difference. <laughs> I mean, we all know this, but it, I, I I don't know if we all know this. I kind of thought like. It didn't really matter if you up it. We talk about on the podcast all the time about reps not being that important, especially in like more narrative stuff. Um, but across the board, like if you're looking for a rep, it might mean you're not ready for
3: one. You know, I think well, yeah, that that's certainly true. That's a great I, one. I, I think that, Oren, you say that reps aren't that important. I always push back or bite my tongue on it. Just for the record, <laughs> I think okay. in the narrative yeah, world, in the narrative yeah. world, you, you know, uh, there is. You do need reps at a certain echelon. But I, I think really more importantly, on your trajectory, that Rebel Wilson spot, I think did level you up in a significant way, right? It was It's really great. Mm-hmm. It had an awesome celebrity. It looked really premium. It was a triple-A spot. And so when you're in the running for bigger spots, I think that those relationships become much more important. Relationships are always important, but like you can't have mid-tier reps pitching you on jobs that they are outclassed on. I think that's the bottom line. Think of it like this, though.
4: Uh, and I I have wonderful reps, and I still find that repeat business is what keeps me gone. <laughs> and I want the agency people to go to the website or Google, if they heard of me or, you know, somebody recommended and they see that we have reps. Mm-hmm. We see it, it's it's mm-hmm. almost like an advertising expense as much as it is a sales expense. Mm-hmm. It's the cost of doing business to have reps. I just uh, literally yesterday from when we're recording this, signed on with uh, Options, Doug Sharon, as my not only west coast rep because he's in LA but I'm going to have him handle the east coast Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not because uh, he's on boots on the ground there he's not but because I I have a relationship with him for many many years and I know that he can find the leads before that I I went three months without a rep in New York so mm -hmm. that's not going to no one's just going
3: to call out of the blue sure sure and 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 to clarify we are using reps as a in a really broad way Jordan, you're talking about your sales reps for yes, right, yes, your yes, company, whereas yes. Jordan, you're, or you're talking about rostering at a production company. which is
2: Yeah, which also has sales reps that, sure. you know, Nikki Weiss, that, who was on the podcast, is one of the sales reps of Art Class. That, but I, one just quick side tip, if you're looking for production companies, because we have people email us a lot and saying like, hey, how do I find out what production companies to reach out to? If you ever hear a rep's name, like Nikki Weiss or... Mm-hmm. uh if you go to allyouroptions.com, they have a roster. So if you click on, you go to allyouroptions.com, that's Jordan's reps, and you click on roster, you can see, uh, I actually don't see True Gentleman Industries no, on here yeah, yet because you have, just to
4: email them the logo, the PNG file.
2: <laughs> oh, crazy transparency. Yeah. Um, so you have like 13 companies here that are all production companies that... If you're a director, you might want to click on them yeah. and see who their directors are. And They have say, 10 directors, and some yeah. of those are post, I think, post companies. But mm-hmm. yeah, the um,
4: getting repped by a, a production company being on the roster and their sales reps in the dif- different regions just means now you're competing against the same people, but someone's pitching you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like sometimes you're competing within your own company. Who gets the board? How do they decide at art class if it goes to Orin or director of, you know, number four? Christina, yeah.
2: So art class, at least this past year, has kind of been in this privileged position where they have a lot of their roster working. And so I think a lot of it comes down to availability. Vince is is busy. Ryan's busy. Christina's busy. Oh, this is kind of colorful, comedic, fun camera moves. Let's go to Orin. But also we have two other directors if Orin's not available that can go to it, you know, or this is like really great celebrity dialogue comedy will go to Vince. This is awkward kind of Geico style comedy will go to Ryan. Oh, Ryan's busy. Orrin can probably pitch on this, you know. So I think we each have our like little flavor of that comedy slice. I still have to work with other companies as well, you know. And I, my dream is to be in a position where just one set of reps are getting me 100% of the work and I don't need to ever talk to anyone else my hope is like you know like Matt that I'm doing 10 commercials a year and then maybe a, a narrative project on the side too and my other thing that I did this year which I mentioned earlier is I kind of took a new strategy with crew hi- hiring crew so one of the things I noticed with art class when I signed with them and I think a lot of people do this I'm curious Jordan if you do this too based on your 14 page treatments I su- I suspect you don't but I have now in my treatments a page on potential cinematographers and potential production designers, a page for each. I'll talk about production design. Then I'll, t- I'll say, and here's the production designers I'm super excited about. And then I'll have a page on cinematography. Now I'll be like, here's some, a couple DPs that I'm super stoked on that I think would kill this. And I have a, like an animated GIF from like a, the spot they shot. That's really similar. And then a link to their website. And you know, I, I went, From working with the same DP on every single job and trying to get the same production designer on every single job to really trying to work with a new DP on almost every job, or, you know, kind of coming back to DPs I worked with before, but really cycling through people. A lot of this had to do with this Instagram message I exchanged that I talked about on the podcast of a director telling me that the first time he works with a DP is usually they're trying to impress him. And the 10th time he's working with that same DP, they're usually more interested in like, chit-chatting with the crew. They're on the
4: phone for their next job.
2: Yeah. And so I really, whether it's true or not, and I I know there's a lot of romances, director DP romances, you know, that they've worked together on a hundred things in a row. So that's my new thing this year is just really kind of always having multiple people in mind.
4: There is a generational thing. I believe that like a lot of my repeat business is I mean, some is within the last few years, for sure. I mean, they had to be new at some point. But I think the, the newer generation, the last five years, there isn't that culture at the agency to lock into the director and use her or him the whole, or they, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And there is a mindset of, let's mix it up. Yeah, And well, some I'm of my repeat like- businesses is, is people I've known for many, many years. Or I worked with someone and the new person was there was um, like ADT Solar. Evan is a creative director and he was, his first shoot was with me for a Saatchi Toyota job like five years ago and he remembered. And I was nice to him because I asked him, I go, what made you remember? He goes, you were nice to me and you asked me my ideas. And, but he it took five years, Evan. If you're listening, <laughs> uh, no. But I was I was really excited. Evan, I listened
2: to your ideas the first time. Just yeah. <laughs> <that>. And
4: <laughs> and it was his project. He was the he was the force on this mm-hmm. on this thing. Um, with the, as far as the DP, I think yeah, working. I love a shorthand. I work with a handful of people. I've been working with my son a lot this year. That was on my list. Mm-hmm. That we he's DP for me a bunch. I should also give a shout out Ben Brady my son this is a big one for me uh, mm-hmm. he was selected for the shoot new directors showcase Ooh, that's, Ooh, that's and, amazing and, awesome. and that's yeah
2: awesome. I, I have twice not been selected for it so.
4: <laughs> i was so i was so proud he was shooting the day they screened in new york i went to new york to see the showcase and i'm always looking for new you know looking at new directors and i give the master my master class to the the finalists and the winners, which I have for like, I don't know, three years now. So uh, I had a vested interest in the showcase. And then when he won, I was just over the moon. Like Mm -hmm. if I were a cobbler, I would want my son to be one of the best cobblers in the village. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that is, that it's awesome. awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. So shout out to him, but, but I don't always work with, with him and there's times Mm -hmm. I'm like, can you handle what, what I'm going to go through with the, you know, the client on this one. Are you ready for that one? I, mm-hmm. I, I think I need the car specialist who's done this job 5 million times. Mm-hmm. And if it's uh you know, if I go to an, I used to fly DPs quite a bit, mm-hmm. but budgets have been where it's like, give me the local, the best local person and let's collaborate and zoom and really prep the hell out of it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Especially I, art department. I feel like you- Okay. Got to go local, unless you have a giant budget. You know, like I, there's two DPs I worked with a ton, Jess Dunlap and Yuki Naguchi, both amazing DPs. Yuki was on our podcast the last two episodes. Like, I love the idea of like working a ton with them and then like taking a break, and we each kind of go and learn from other directors and other DPs, and then we come back again, and you know, and we you share tricks. Yeah, and we kind of go away and come back and go and find what each other's strengths are, and and you know, find new new people, and so I think. There is, like, something so nice about, like, like, latching onto, like, growing your network laterally and horizontally and vertically all at the same time, you know. I
4: made this indie film umpteen years ago, over 20 years ago, right? Wrote it, directed it uh, with some friends, raised the money. And the DP, Jonathan Brown, has gone on to shoot, uh, I think he did Night at the Museum, and he's mm-hmm. an episodic director now. And he was my brother-in-law at the time. So he and I go mm-hmm. on the road and shoot this country western spinal tap called Dill Scallion. It's a mock documentary. We shoot it for like thirty five plus days, not in a row. I cobble footage together. You know the mm-hmm. the nineties, late nineties model. Sure. Shoot footage, cobble together, show investors, get more money. Shoot again.
2: Amazing model, by the way,
4: and an amazing cast. It was, it was wonderful. So I'm in the uh, edit room cutting the film on an avid media composer light Mm -hmm. that i rented from a wedding video guy (laughs) reading the manual trying to edit in this late 90s non-linear new form new technology very
3: romantic picture you're painting for us (laughs) everyone just yeah you're editing on a computer. It's all I need to. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was
4: new at the but time. It was brand new. Yeah, brand yeah. Brand new at the time. Yeah. And the uh, Chris Moore, who you know from Project, Team. Yeah. Sure. sure. And uh, two other guys come and they watch the movie on the on the Avid. Like I hook up a TV mm-hmm. to it, and we're like halfway through. They said, "You're hired," and they hired me to do this movie called The Third Wheel, which. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon ended up producing. Ben Affleck's in it, and uh, did you direct it? I directed the motion picture, and it was you you
2: directed a Ben Affleck movie.
4: I directed, and Matt Damon was on set for three hours and did a cameo. What? And I gave him a line reading. How do we not know this? Because it was just twenty years ago. No, but we've heard about Dill Scallion. Well, because I love that movie. I you know (laughs) I wrote it. So the the third wheel. Sure. The third wheel was was uh, it was Luke Wilson, uh, and Denise Richards were the stars, and Jay LaCopo who's a very funny writer performer, happened to be a friend. When I saw the script, I'm like, oh, I know Jay, but that's not the the DP story that I'm telling you. So Jonathan Brown, when they this is like a million dollar movie, right? Jonathan Brown is going to DP. So Dill Scallion was Jonathan's first movie, then he does. Uh, the third wheel with me, Harvey Weinstein comes to the set, the last day of shooting and he buys the movie, comes to the edit room, buys the movie. A year later, I'm in the penthouse suite of the peninsula hotel. He's like, I'm buying the third wheel. We're going to shoot more scenes. It's been a year. Right. And, and I said, well, I want to direct this waking up in Reno. He goes, okay, you're going to direct that. And, so I I get the movie Waking Up in Reno with Billy Bob Thornton, Charlize mm-hmm. Theron who was mm-hmm. on her way up. She this is like post Reindeer Games, mm-hmm. pr, you know, mm-hmm. pr, pre Monster, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh so she's like, "Oh, I think we saw her booty inside Her House Rules." That Charlize, right? Super mm-hmm. cool by the way. Patrick Swayze
3: mm-hmm.
4: and uh who was just a wonderful man and Uh, Natasha Richardson who was just my crush and I want Jonathan Brown to shoot the movie Mm -hmm. and I think he had shot Big Fat Liar with Sean Levy's first movie and Sean Levy's like hey I might hire Jonathan Mm -hmm. yes you Mm -hmm. should they did a bunch of movies so every every time I would bring up Jonathan Brown Merrimax would say no and I'm like but this is my first real film you know i don't know like seven eight million dollars don't you want me to have my guy my guy like don't you want me to be efficient the shorthand we went on the road together you bought the other movie and i met a bunch of different dbs and i'm like i want jonathan brown so then i meet two rock star super like legends haskell wexler Mm mm-hmm And William Fraker. And uh, let your listeners Google them,
3: right? Uh, Billy Fraker was my uh, film school DP teacher. At uh, LA Film School? At USC, baby. Oh, USC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rosemary's Baby, a ton of shit.
4: Bullet, uh, (laughs) you name it. Yeah. So I gravitated towards Haskell Wexler, Mm -hmm. who happened to be friends with John Brown's father. Garrett Brown, who invented the Steadicam. There's a lot of history here. And I was at the wedding, so I remember talking to him, and I was a fan. And Fraker, of course, like, wonderful. When I said to the studio, okay, okay, how about, you know, how am I going to turn down Haskell Wexler? Can I please have him? And they said, oh, no, he's unavailable. And I got a letter saying that's not true. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I ran into uh, uh, Mallrats, Clerks, uh, Kevin Smith at a party. And I'm not a big Hollywood guy, but I was at uh, this party there. And he goes, hey, I heard you're having trouble with uh, getting your DP. Like like almost they were making fun of how uh-huh. I was really falling on the sword. And I ended up having Jonathan Brown do uh, the second unit mm-hmm. as a director. Like, Okay. And so- I went with him and uh, that was, you know... I could delegate a lot of stuff to him, and he's a great guy, great DP, great producer director. But uh, Kevin Smith goes, "You're never going to get who you want." That's the game. I've made all these movies with Harvey, and I've even tried to get the DP that he want, that he introduced me to on the movie before, mm-hmm. and he won't let me have him again. I guess it was some weird. I mean, we all know that you know sure. at the end of the story with Harvey Weinstein. He's in jail listening to this podcast. Sure. But he, it was a power thing where they didn't want you to be in cahoots, so that he could call Uh, the DP and get the coverage and get the this and get the make sure. Yeah,
3: interesting.
4: And so I saddled up with Fraker, who was uh, just a, and he would call me the gorilla because for my gorilla filmmaking, he would he would always pull respectfully pull me aside. He goes, I need to talk to you. And he would pull me aside. He goes, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I go, oh, I saw it and out of sight. They did like two wide shots cut back. Yeah. And he goes, okay. And then when I said, well, this should be steady cam. He goes, why do you want a steady cam? Can't you just tell me where you're going to cut? We'll lay down the dolly track. <laughs> and he was right. And we had steady cam like one day and he brought in his guy. And I mean, it, it was at one point he goes, I don't know if I can take this. Like you're just running crazy. And I was less disciplined than I am mm-hmm. now. <laughs> but. Like, I remember, like, the second week Fraker, and God rest his soul, he's since sure. passed, right? Uh, he he pulls me aside. He goes, they should have let you had your brother-in-law. <laughs> Why did, I mean, you know, that's the way it used to be. The director and the DP were thick as thieves. And that's what, that's how you should have made this movie.
3: That's really funny.
4: Going through that. Mm-hmm. And tolerating Billy Bob m- means that there is no agency request that can ruffle my feathers. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're <laughs> and battle. There's the, uh, the you're battle, out. and and then yeah. working with Fraker, who you know brought major game and taught me so much, mm-hmm. and his the discipline his crew had was a wonderful experience. But he was a like, gruff man. He was yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah. And he was uh, like, like I said, he respected the position. And like one time I remember I, we were on a tech scout and I held the door open for someone and he yelled at me because you're the director. You don't hold, what are you going to do next? Get him coffee. I go. I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm I was raised in hey, to sure. hold the sure. door for the woman yeah. there.
3: Like, you know, um, I, also, it, and I, I don't just to paint the picture yeah. when, when he was teaching, he imagine um uh mr hammond from jurassic park right (laughs) but just like a that's what he looks like round white beard but not as jolly not as jolly but also kind of still styled similarly i doubt he was wearing white linen when he was on set but like (laughs) but you know a fedora a white white gloves dp for sure (laughs) you know yeah
4: I did one more indie that was just like this thing and it was during the strike. It was because of the strike. If we start by Friday Mm -hmm. and everybody just (laughs) jumped on, it was like a misfit (laughs) island of misfit filmmakers and actors. And I met on some movies and I pitched on like a freaky Friday and a whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing commercials ever since still scallion. I did commercials. I remember Harvey being mad because I was doing Burger King and vancouver Mm -hmm. while the editor did the assembly i'm like what am i going to watch him do the assembly of the movie like we just wrapped i'm going to bang out some commercials sure and then the commercial people would get mad that i was in post when's the movie coming you're going to go shoot another movie so you'd lose momentum in one industry Mm -hmm. while you're doing this and i i feel that both suffered a little bit but my point goes back to Matt and the the gig, the producing gig. Mm-hmm. And what do you want to do? So after like a Disney pitch on a movie I didn't want to do Stuart Little Five or whatever it was. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. you know, I told my agent, I go, I'm going to do commercials for three years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pitch. I it not stop sending me the piles of scripts to, mm-hmm. you know, to the house. I don't want to do it. I've been on a nice run. There were some like uh you know, $2 million movies, but I had two little kids. And am I going to go do that for a year and a half, two years? Sure, sure. Or can I do commercials? So I'm going to do commercials for three years. And three years turned into, I mean, that was like 2002, 2003. So now we're 22 years later. Mm -hmm. And I love commercials. Do I want to make a feature? Yeah, I'll go make a documentary. Micro, nano, tourniquet on spending budget. That actually turns a profit after a year mm-hmm. or self-distributing it like five, 10 bucks at a time on my phone. So w- w- I couldn't have predicted that what w- w- this is what I would have done. And if I wanted to change it right now, I would go write a feature, raise the money, and shoot it. Mm-hmm. And save money to put, you know, the kids in Slurpees and new jeans. So your job right now, Matt, is genius because it is what it is right now. Sure. Like it's, it's kind of uh, surrendering to the now, making it the best. And then as we go into 2024, have a plan, write down your deadlines and your goals. And I'm not saying, yeah, I am saying manifest it because you can change the course anytime
2: yeah it's funny. I just heard this interview of Terry Gross on NPR. She said that there's this saying people used to say, which is like no one on their deathbed said, Oh, I wish I spent more days in the office
4: Mhm that's
2: true. but she's like, but for me, I kind of and a lot of people I know and the pe- kind of creative people and journalists and people in my life, like a lot of them do wish they had some legacy or finished some project or did some mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that is kind of like what they left in the world and you know, down the line, I'm not going to like, Will I regret not making my short film or whatever. But I, I don't know. I feel like as long as we're making things and generating stuff and out in the world, it's, we can do whatever we want to do and not feel guilty about it. It's a breath of fresh air,
3: Oren. <laughs>
4: well played, sir. I was a game show host. I was a game show host. That was my job when I was a young man. And someone offered me a, a gig at NBC, and I went back. I've told this story before. I went back like an hour after the meeting that they gave me the job hosting this show. It was with Mario Lopez called Name Your Adventure. So now you got Mario Lopez and mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, hey, can I direct some episodes of this show? And they looked at me like I was high. They go, what do you mean? Like, you're, we want you to host. You just... Sure. Go do the thing. And I showed them, like, not even a, a three quarter, it was a VHS tape of some things I'd shot that were pretty crappy, but it was the kind of the tone of the show. And they said, sure, you can do one. If you come in the office and produce six, when you produce your first six segments, mm-hmm. you can direct one. And I happily took it because it, it paid the bills. Sure, and afforded me the opportunity to do what I wanted to do when I really wanted to do as a direct. So I, anybody listening, take a job in any creative field. As I always look at the surfers that surf every morning and they'll work the bartending job or Home Depot, whatever. There's nothing wrong with those jobs, but they do it to support the surfing habit. And the economy uh, of filmmaking is such that until you hit you know you make that breakthrough feature or whatever get that breakthrough Super Bowl spot or whatever it is, do whatever you can creatively and be happy about it and squirrel a little money away for the passion project. It's a very simple formula for two thousand twenty four
2: Well, Jordan, on that note of uh, wrapping things up nicely, do you have a minute to
3: stay with us uh, and endorse something?
4: I love unpaid
3: endorsements. Me too, baby. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement, everyone, it's very LA specific. Stop me if I've said this one already. Epicurious Gourmet. Do you guys know this place? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Jordan knows. Jordan knows. I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. So Epicurious Gourmet is um, in a warehouse in North Hollywood, not too far from me. Some might even call it Sun Valley that sells direct to consumer Imported, high-end culinary goods. So you want your Dandan Dan sauce or your imported Parmesan or your frozen baguette from France, uh, but you don't want to pay those super like expensive prices. You don't want to pay those eatly prices. Epicurious Gourmet is where you go to get uh, all sorts of goodies. And um, it was great for stocking stuffers and for mm-hmm. Christmas dinner. I'm all about it. Uh, you might be familiar with it because it blew up on tinned fish TikTok, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is a a niche that. Uh, For sardines? I, or? It, yeah, sardines and all sorts, you know, any, any sort Kipper of. snacks. Yeah. I, young people love tinned fish. It's like a very trendy thing yeah. to be like, oh, I brought some, you know, imported sardines, sardines or whatever and uh, they have an incredible selection but also kind of really any any of those really like high end foodie brands but at warehouse prices so if you're like oh i got to make a great pasta sauce and i need those imported san marzano crushed tomatoes epicurious gourmet is worth the drive for sure well jordan take it away what you got but my unpaid endorsement is
4: stillwater aluminum canned Purified water Mm -hmm. because I have been having this on all true gent sets ever since really since 2018. I've Mm -hmm. been using no plastic. So you get a refillable bottle if you're important, but you know, the crew doesn't have time to go fill up at the water station. Mm -hmm. So you grab a can of aluminum, aluminum can of still water that's the brand maybe it's called open water is the brand. I have, I should look this up. It says still water on the can because it's uh more ocean, less
2: plastic. I mean, kind of like liquid death, right? You can,
4: it's, a, I tried to buy a pallet of liquid death, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't give me a wholesale price. And I love their ads and their whole marketing sure. thing, but it's not worth, uh, the money's not worth it for the cool can on mm-hmm. set. We got to buy in volume. So liquid death, if you're listening, you know, reach out, make me a deal,
3: but, uh, right now, open water,
4: more ocean, less plastic.
3: I don't know if uh, if still water is specifically, but I know that like aluminum cans are like shelf stable for 50 years, mm-hmm. depending on how they're quote unquote bottled. Um, but so that's like great for earthquake preparedness. You know, like you throw some of that in the garage or whatever, and then you're not worried about like if it's a plastic bottle, you're supposed to cycle through them all the time. So, well, I bought I, a. Go to Jordan's if the grid goes down. (laughs) I bought a (laughs)
4: pallet of bottled water. Uh, It was during the, was it before the pandemic when Austin, Texas froze over. My daughter was going to school there, Mm them, And so I bought a pallet at Costco where it was like 15 cents a bottle. But I would just give people cases because I didn't want to have old water. Sure. You're
3: just yeah. like, well, wow, yeah. stuff is going to go bad. Water is going to go bad in six months or whatever it is.
4: If you have solar and the shit goes to the fan, you don't want to keep all your lights off. That you're the house with power. Sure, <laughs> and all the zombies show up. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Oren, what do you what do you have? what you got? But I have. It's something that you know is probably a lot of people are are on this tip um already. But you know, the Hollywood Reporter they do their annual like. People they think will get nominated for Oscars Mm -hmm. roundtable. So they do a director's roundtable, actors, whatever. I just kind of happened upon the songwriter roundtable. First of all, the the roundtable is insane. It's Billie Eilish, Dua Lipa. Uh, So Billie Eilish for Barbie did a song for Barbie. Dua Lipa did a song for Barbie. Olivia Rodrigo did a song for Hunger Games. Cynthia Erivo acted, produced, and wrote a song for a movie she was in called Drift. Julia Michaels did all the songs for Wish, the Disney movie. And John Batiste made a documentary of the symphony that he was making. Um, and it's, it's really short. Yeah, so it's called Songwriters Roundtable Preview. So I guess I just watched the preview. It's only 18 minutes, probably the full thing. It's like an hour and a half or something. But they're just like John Batiste talked about getting nominated for 11 Grammys, finding out he was nominated for 11 Grammys. The same day he found out his wife had cancer leukemia, yeah, um, and just you know we talked to, touched on this at the beginning of this episode, like the highs and the lows that we go through in this industry, and like this is like i like eleven Grammys, this is probably his dream for his entire life, and then his like the closest person in the world to him like has cancer, like a really bad cancer like they find he finds that out on the same day, so it's just just kind of interesting. You, you know, to see people at the height of success and fame and kind of like dealing with with these things. And then Billie Eilish talked about just writer's block, like the Barbie song, you know, uh, I think it's called um, What Was I Made For? I think is the name of the song. She just talks basically about inspiration and about how her and her brother like spent hours and hours trying to write songs for her album. They can come up with anything. And then the last minute they're like, oh, let's just, worry about this Barbie thing for a second. It's not a personal song. I'm just going to write a song about this other person, Barbie, this character, this doll. And she wrote this song and it's like, you know, super beautiful song.
4: She sung it into her iPhone.
2: Yeah. She said in like five minutes, her and her brother, he kind of played something. She sang this thing and she said she played it for like her friend in the car, like a few days later. And she's like, you know, this is like a song for Barbie, you know, like this doll. And her friend was like, this song is about you, you know, and it's like the writer's block came from trying to write something personal. She was writing about someone else in her mind and then ended up writing something incredibly personal, unintentionally. And it's like this, you know, smash hit. The group of people there is amazing. And it's, it makes me think like you think about a Billie Eilish or someone that's like so insanely famous, like Olivia Rodrigo, just sitting for an hour, listening to other people talking and kind of makes me like, you know, sometimes you think these people are so busy, they don't even have time to listen. And just watching these very famous people listen and uh, sympathize and empathize with each other is kind of interesting, too, because it just, you know, humanizes them. Well, anyway, Jordan, if people want to find out more about your parenting podcast or anything else that you're mm-hmm. doing. How can they find you?
4: Respect the parents. Respect the fuckers. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, everywhere. Commercial Directing Film School has your courses. And I think when you hear this, the special will be over. But I have a boot camp April 27th in L.A., Commercial Directing Boot Camp. And our big retreat will be in its third year at Joshua Tree uh, September, I think it's 28th through October, or the last week of September, four days in the desert with professional working filmmakers, transformational, manifest your shit, write it down, learn my process. We all hang out together. It's like summer camp for filmmakers with a curriculum. That's awesome. And it's a, it's a blast. So that's where they can find me. And then truegent.tv I'm uh, available for hire. I'm probably the most accessible comedy director in my price range
1: <laughs>
2: uh, i wonder if that's true if you all want to ask jordan a question he is accessible so you can write him directly but you can also have us ask him the question if it's an embarrassing one you can email us at just shoot it pod at gmail.com we across all social media at just shoot it pod. i'm on instagram
3: at okaplan and I'm at Mr. Matt Amel across all social media, especially Letterboxed. And I'm a proud, I'm a proud Patreon supporter of this podcast, That's and right. I, lo- I
4: love this show. Shout out to whether George. you have me, whether you have me on uh, 2024 again, or uh, Carolyn takes over every episode. I don't care. I'm a fan, and I appreciate all that you share and the wonderful guests that you have. Thanks, man.
3: This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Uh, And produced by Noah, uh, with additional producing from Tyler Small, and you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive, and the artist, Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jordan. Goodbye. I'm going to bed.